Hello and welcome to Coppola Connections, the podcast where I'm shaking every branch of the Coppola family tree to find out are they the greatest film family of all time. The way I intend to do that is by watching their entire collective filmography, one film at a time. And this week's film is 2015's Jurassic World, which has Jonathan Schwartzman as the director of photography. And my guest for this episode is M from the fantastic Verbal Diorama podcast. Before we get into this week's episode, if you haven't seen this film, please do check out a handy document in the show notes that will tell you if and where this film is streaming as well as that if you want some extra chat with myself and em there's a good like close to 15 minutes chat all about nicholas cage that you can access on patreon.com forward slash caged in pod where you can just chuck as little as three dollars a month and just get a load of bonus chats with people i've had all about nick cage and some bonus nick cage chat on the the nick cage specific episodes so all that's left to do is to train your raptors splice together as many terrifying dinosaurs as you can get your hands on and hope for the best and run around in the most inappropriate shoes you can find imaginable as we make some coppola connections the year is 2015 14 years after this franchise's last outing that gave us three reasons why resurrecting dinosaurs was a bad idea jurassic world jonathan schwartzman worked as the dop on this film making our coppola connection for this episode to help me tame some raptors ride around on a gyrosphere and spend the duration of this adventure in inappropriate shoes is podcaster writer and champion of UK film podcasts, M from Verbal Diorama Podcast. How are you today? Hi, Petros. <laughs> I'm really well. I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to introduce myself with some sort of quote uh, from Jurassic World, and then I realised that all the good quotes are in Jurassic Park. So, <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. This um, so <laughs> it's I I rewatched it again today, uh, and then I was kind of like thinking most of the great moments in this film are unfortunately moments that were done better in Jurassic Park but we will <laughs> get into that uh, in due course um so before we get into talking about Jurassic World I would like to start these off by finding out what you know and your relationship to the Coppola family so when did you first become aware of them as this entity, this kind of spider's web of a film family? Well, I mean, I probably first got introduced to the Coppola name uh, with Bram Stoker's Dracula because I was legitimately obsessed with that movie. Uh, not for the obvious <laughs> Keanu Reeves reason, although, I mean, I do like to get Keanu Reeves in whenever I can. But when I was a teenager, um, I was so obsessed with that movie and obviously that was my first instance of this guy called Francis Ford Coppola and um and mm -hmm. really um it wasn't till um uh, because obviously I was a teenager at that point and I didn't really understand much uh I was a bit dumb so um I didn't really know that there was a link between 
Nicolas Cage and Francis Ford Coppola because you you wouldn't they're different surnames. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I it wasn't really until I got introduced to Sophia Coppola that I kind of became mm-hmm. aware that this was a family of people. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Um, and then obviously over the years you kind of realise that there's quite a few of them. <laughs> yeah, there's there, there's yeah. tons of them and. And the, the the fact is that they all either like Nicolas Cage have a that pseudonym surname, or they have different surnames entirely. So Talia Shire, Francis Ford Coppola's sister, her children are Schwartzman. So then it, it makes it even more confusing. You've got this kind of barrage of different surnames going on, but then you kind of zoom out and look at the family tree and go. Jesus Christ, how are these all these people related? Yeah, it's uh, it is. I, I mean, it probably is the largest family in Hollywood, uh, I think. Um, yeah, I, I think I think I think it is. I've done, I've, I've done the research, and there's there's like even members of the family that I would say 90% of people do not know the existence of, but they're there, they have like a they had they've dipped a toe into the filmmaking world, whether in front of or behind the camera at some mm. point in their life. So I uh, yeah, one of the other questions I like to ask, and I know it's probably difficult with uh this specific family member because he is a <laughs> DOP, but do you, are are you aware of like what would have been the first film you would have seen that had an uh, any involvement from Jonathan Schwartz? Well, I had to check his IMDb listing. <laughs> <laughs> but then I realised he's been involved in quite a lot of stuff that I've seen, um, like Seabiscuit yeah. and uh, The Amazing Spider-Man. So, but kind of going back to his earlier stuff, the, the first one, I think, and it actually is quite a nice link to uh, Mr. Nicolas Cage because it probably would be The Rock, I would think. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Because, I mean, and, and to be honest, I didn't even know genuinely that Jonathan Schwartzman was involved in The Rock until today. <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, I, I mean, and that's obviously, I mean, I don't know if he got that job from, you know, the fact that he's somewhat related to Nicolas Cage. I mean, it's not, he's not really related, is he? Isn't he? He's like a stepson or something. <laughs> So yeah, he is Talia Shire's right. stepson, but I'm I, I I'm including him because I guess he would have probably grown up in mm-hmm. the same house with his brothers and so, yeah he he's getting in on there, there's more tenuous links. <laughs> okay, Schwartzman, I'll tell you that for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's crazy that that link with the Rock because it's the Rock and Armageddon that are both. Uh, Jonathan Schwartzman as cinematographer, and they're the only two. It's crazy that he even has any, but they're the only two Michael Bay films that are in the Criterion collection. No. I always, I always att- I always attribute it to the fact that it has involvement from the Coppola family that that, that <laughs> them over the line to get into the Criterion. I mean, that, that is quite astonishing because when you think of the Criterion collection, you you really do think of very highbrow material you don't tend to think of michael bay yeah. um but good for him <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh yeah let's talk about 
Jurassic World. I'm really proud of you for going on this trip. You're gonna have so much fun. And remember, if something chases you, decade from genetics than a century of digging up bones. A whole new frontier has opened up. We have our first genetically modified hybrid. We just went and made a new dinosaur? Probably not a good idea. Almost 40 feet high. Really think she climbed out. Depends. On what? What kind of dinosaur they cooked up in that lab. Evacuate the island. She's a highly intelligent animal. She will kill anything that moves. Oh, God. with this film when did you first see it um like what did what were your first impressions when you first saw it as well well i mean i i did go to the cinema to see this uh i remember i was really excited about seeing jurassic world um i am a huge huge jurassic park fan i don't think there is anyone out there who isn't a huge jurassic park fan <laughs> um i've always been a little bit more middling on the sequels i mean i think they're fine uh, but nothing has kind of reached the status of Jurassic Park. Um, and you kind of look at Jurassic Park and you, and you say, well, cl clearly um, it is a, a, a warning there uh, about um, <laughs> messing with science uh, and mess messing with evolution yes. and basically don't do it. Um, and then obviously Jurassic World was announced and it was quite clear from the trailers that oh they did make a park and oh people are visiting this park and oh nothing could go <laughs> wrong um and so i it was always something i was quite interested in i was quite interested to revisit this world at a different you know at a point mm -hmm. in the future um i mean clearly we, we everyone knew what was going to happen it wasn't going to be a, a a two a two hour um <laughs> science documentary about how they made the dinosaurs uh it, it was going to be uh <laughs> dinosaurs get out and kill people 
So, um, so you kind of everyone yeah. kind of knew what they were getting into with with Jurassic World, and and I've always been a bit of a Jurassic World apologist, um, in in a sense that <laughs> it was a huge, ginormous hit. I mean, this was like a billion dollar movie. This was absolutely huge, um, yeah. and no, it's not as good as Jurassic Park, but I do think it has some really interesting <laughs> themes on well, just generally the stupidity of humanity. Uh, and obviously you know corporate greed and and indulgence um yeah but but ultimately i i kind of really like that life does still find a way um and also the fact that ian malcolm uh in jurassic park i mean he quite famously said uh your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could they didn't stop to think if they should and 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 that is exactly (laughs) what happens in this movie except it happens to an indescribable level, because not only do they start bringing back dinosaurs, they create a brand new species of dinosaur to try and make this park more attractive to people. And it's literally the stupidest idea. But then you look at, but then you look at what <laughs> humans do in, in real life, and then you go, well, actually, there's every possibility that there are people this stupid out there. So I, I'm putting it out there. Jurassic World will probably happen <laughs> at some point in the future, for real, because I think humanity genuinely is this stupid. <laughs> I love human beings. I really do. Human beings are great. Mm. But let's be honest, there are a lot of stupid people out there who would do something like this. So <laughs> uh, th- This film definitely has like um, uh, a nihilistic undertow to it that like, does make me think it, it might it might just be uh, because i feel a bit under the weather today where i was like we we fucking deserve we deserve every we deserve all this bad shit do you <laughs> know what i mean because like the way they're like messing about with nature and stuff like that and it's like we'll get into it a bit more uh a, a bit later on in the podcast but when when the kids like go down that off the beaten track as it were i'm like well my sympathies are lost right now i'm like <laughs> That is not a welcome to come in and have fun. That is like a gnarled up gate that like just screams danger ahead. But they go, hey, let's have some fun. And I, th- I think the mo- the moment a character does something like that, I'm like, no, I've like, I wash my hands of you. I know <laughs> you are teenage boys, but it doesn't matter. Um, so, yeah. As I mentioned before, this film was released in 2015. Um, it was directed by Colin Trevorrow. And as you mentioned, it was an absolute smash because it was a $150 million budget with a return of $1.6 billion. It stars the internet's least favorite, Chris, Chris Pratt, Bryce Dallas Howard, Ty Simpkins, Nick Robinson. We see the return, the only returning character I believe from the uh, original film is uh, B.D. Wong's character, uh, uh, Dr. Wu, who I think the moment you see him on screen, right, you're like, well, you know some bad shit's going on. (laughs) Him and and Vincent D'Onofrio, you're like, oh, I know know, uh, some bad shit is about to happen. So um, you touched on it slightly. I'd like to know, yeah, like, what was... um, what is your relationship in a bit more depth with with the original Jurassic Park? Like, I, I, is, is it one that you watch a lot or that you revisit often? 
my relationship with the original Jurassic Park is one of my kind of defining moments of of, of cinema, basically. Yeah. Um, it's one of the first times that I was taken to the cinema uh, with my grandparents. Um, so it, it's like a really fond memory for me going to the cinema with my grandparents. They obviously didn't know, <laughs> I don't think, um, what Jurassic Park was about. Um, because obviously we were quite young uh, and it was quite scary at the time. Yeah. But it's, it's a movie that's kind of only ever grown in my estimations. Um, I've covered it on my podcast. Um, mm -hmm. I, I've basically spoken at length so many times about how much I love Jurassic Park and how special and wonderful Jurassic Park is. And, and even today, it's one of those um, endearing kind of cinematic legends um, mm -hmm. that isn't kind of bogged down by bad special effects. Like a lot of 90s movies are really bogged down by bad special effects. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Jurassic Park, just because of the amazing Stan Winston creature design, um, because of mm -hmm. the very limited CG that it uses, um, and just, and also because of the, Really interesting human characters as well. Yeah. Um, it, it, it just kind of holds this really fantastical, wondrous kind of place in my heart. Um, and, and even though I love Jurassic Park so much, I was always so willing to give Jurassic World a fair shot because mm -hmm. it was obviously this kind of brand new foray. It wasn't, it wasn't a Jurassic Park sequel per se. It was yeah. kind of a sort of a rebooty kind of almost sequel kind of spin-off kind of you know all of these kind of different things it wasn't so much a, a direct sequel um but yeah the the original Jurassic Park is literally I think one of the greatest movies ever made it's still one of my favorites of all time I watch it quite regularly um yeah and a... yeah I mean there, there's there's not much that is better than Jurassic Park really in my in my estimations it's one of those things that steven spielberg really like reinvented well it almost invented the summer blockbuster then reinvented it again in the 90s with jurassic park and it's it's very much like a touchstone film for like you think of it as almost like a line in the sand of like what the summer blockbuster could be before it and what it could be afterwards do you know what i mean because like mm. the level of spectacle that we get in jurassic park is just phenomenal and it is yeah as you say like that even down to like the casting decisions in that original film you think of sam neil like i don't know like in the 80s he would have like been doing some real out there stuff whether it's uh Zulowski's possession and then you've got um yeah like laura dern working a lot with uh, David Lynch, like only been a couple of years prior, she would have been in Wild at Heart with Nicolas Cage. Got to get that one in there. And then uh, Jeff Goldblum, like it would have been a few years after he was peeling off his own fingernails in The Fly. Mm -hmm. So like just to even cast those kind of wicked character actors, like, like uh, to play these really interesting people. And I guess that film, like, I've I've heard it talked about before that it's the the kind of basic message for it because a lot of Spielberg stuff um, deals with like per, like parental relationships and stuff like that and I guess 
the kind of one of the big through lines in that film is all about uh sam neill's character like learning to like accept children and almost mm, like yeah do you know what i mean like it, it like almost like a pair like a parent getting used to the fact of becoming a parent do you know what i mean like and it's that thing of um yeah spielberg is great at like taking i guess a lot of his personal issues and uh, putting them into these amazing uh, cinematic summer blockbusters which kind of leads me into talking about jurassic world like how do you think this fits into that spielberg mold and the kind of amblin like does does it feel to you like a an archetypal Amblin film? It's it's an interesting question because it does and it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it does, but only because it, it kind of rehashes some beats from Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you have, um, you have like the Chris Pratt character, like this kind of aloof guy who's obviously single and, Bryce Dallas Howard's a little bit of this kind of uptight single girl and they kind of become these surrogate parents for these two young boys who obviously happen to be her nephews. And um, I think that there are obviously themes of family because you do have um, the, uh, the parents of the two boys who are clearly going through a divorce um, and they obviously wanted to have just one family breakfast before they ship their boys off to Death Island or whatever. I mean, <laughs> who does that? <laughs> Seriously. Look, I don't have children, but if I had two young boys and my sister worked at Jurassic World, uh, <laughs> uh, where, you know, several years earlier, before it was Jurassic World, um, quite famously all these dinosaurs escaped i might question whether it would be good parental uh, decision to send my teenage boys uh to this <laughs> theme park uh I, I mean i don't know no no judgment from me uh if anyone's ever in that situation but essentially yeah the parents send them to death island and uh-huh. um and yeah it's and obviously um these kids know that there's something not quite right, especially the youngest. Yes. Um, and, and, and I kind of feel like Jurassic World wants to be um, a new, it wants to be the new Jurassic Park, essentially. That's kind mm-hmm. of what it's aiming to be. Um, and, it, and to do that, it does kind of rely so much on that nostalgia of Jurassic Park. There's so many callbacks to Jurassic Park, so many things that happen in Jurassic World that are mirrored mm-hmm. from Jurassic Park. So in that respect, yes, it does feel very Spielberg. It does feel uh, quite Amblin. But then in other ways, it really doesn't. And I think it's because Jurassic World is so, it wants to be Jurassic Park, but obviously it's not. So so (laughs) it's, it's simultaneously trying to be it. And it's also simultaneously not trying to be it because it doesn't want to be. Jurassic Park. It doesn't want to be accused of just being a carbon copy of the original. So it picks and chooses. It's it's almost like it tries to have its cake and eat it a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I think I, I think one of the ways that it does that and kind of when it falls into like the the kind of Amblin territory is like 
gives you those moments where you see the world through the children's eyes, like whether it's um, Gray, like the younger uh, boy, like running through the park and up into the hotel room, and you kind of get that sense of excitement that like Spielberg managed to capture in something like E.T., where it's like you see the world through through a child's eyes. But then, like the original uh, Jurassic Park, it very quickly, like, drops like the kids almost and it's kind of like really focused on the adult story for a lot of it and the kind of like weird bureaucracy of the park itself and the kind of the 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 real life like human villains as opposed to um the the dinosaurs themselves um so i think we've kind of skirted around it but but would you feel comfortable giving us a brief plot synopsis of this film? <laughs> well, I mean, oh yeah, I haven't prepared anything. Um, but <laughs> I like to put people on the spot. Okay, <laughs> okay, um, that's fine. So, um, I don't think it does it. I can't remember. Does it tell us how long after Jurassic Park this is set? I'm not sure it does. Does it? No, is it... I, I, th- I think we're supposed to assume it's like real life time has passed so what it would have been like 22 years or something yeah okay so let's so let's say uh 22 years after the events at um Isla Nublar um where obviously lots of people died it was very tragic um the well (laughs) so (laughs) I'm just trying to think of uh, how I could summarise this. So John Hammond, who was the original owner of the park, presumably, I, I assume, I don't remember exactly, but presumably he sold all of the rights to uh, Simon Masrani, um, who decided in his infinite wisdom, because he had lots of money, that he was going to build John Hammond's vision um, of Jurassic Park, and it was going to be called Jurassic World. And Jurassic World is open to the public and it is essentially one of the most expensive theme parks in the world. (laughs) Loads of really rich people can go and look at dinosaurs, but because they're so rich and they're so entitled, these people are bored of your regular dinosaurs. They don't care about Brontosaurus. They don't care about Triceratops. They don't even care about the original T-Rex from the original Jurassic Park. They want (laughs) something bigger. They want something better they want more teeth they want more action um and so the scientists decide in their infinite wisdom that they want to create a brand new dinosaur we don't know what this dinosaur is made up of until the end but essentially they splice lots of bits and pieces of different dinosaurs together to make the indominus rex the idea is that they want their stocks and shares to go higher and they want more interest in this park. They want more sponsorships. Um, and yeah, they want more customers. So, <laughs> so basically, uh, as, as corporate, I was going to say corporate America, it's not just corporate America, it's corporate global. As corporate Great, global yeah. uh, likes to do, they basically decide to market this brand new dinosaur. But this dinosaur, because it's a mix of all these different versions of dinosaurs, and because it because it's female as well because let's be honest women <laughs> women know everything uh women are the boss so uh because it's a female dinosaur uh she knows that something's not quite right and she knows she wants to escape and so she does and uh, and basically 
Um, they, the shit hits the fan, right? The, well, I, I was actually going to say all hell breaks loose, but yeah, the shit hits the fan, exactly. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so they have this murderous dinosaur on the loose and uh, they have to try and figure out what the hell they're going to do because they're just idiotic humans and uh, this dinosaur is particularly smart. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's it. That's 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 the best story I can do. <laughs> no, that's perfect. That's a perfect like jumping off point to kind of um talk about like some of these like earlier scenes and like themes we have um throughout the film. And um w- one of them, I think, this is like a really like key scene because obviously you mentioned like the the kids' parents are splitting up. They're sent to Deaf Island. But I think kind of like um. One of the scenes that like really jumped out to me uh, in the kind of setup for this is when Claire and Masrani go to visit the Dominus Rex. Which is intelligent then. For a dinosaur. And that. It tried to break the glass. I like her spirit. Scare the kids. The kids. This little appearance nightmares. Is that good? It's fantastic. What are your thoughts on that scene, and how how effectively do they kind of tease out the terror of, of the creature in this? Well, I mean, that seems quite interesting in the sense that you you kind of get an idea of. Simon Masrani and the sort of person that he is, um, he, I think, on the exterior, he's, he kind of preaches about, oh, it's, it's all about the uh, customer experience. It's all about making people happy. It's all about, you know, children smiling and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. But ultimately, he is a businessman. And it's, 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 he he kind of, he kind of very, uh, very quickly gave me like, Richard Branson vibes where it's like big shitty in grin out to the world and then it's like oh I'm gonna take all my money and put it in offshore bank accounts so like yeah. I don't have to pay taxes in the UK and it's like you don't care about the people you can <laughs> like do you know what I mean yeah you had a few parties for your staff in the 90s but now you're now you're sodded off to to Virgin Island and uh, uh, yeah taking your money with you sorry to interrupt no it's fine no it's fine feel, <laughs> feel free to uh to uh, cut in at any time but um but i i kind of like that discussion that he and claire have because yeah. it's it is essentially kind of setting up what this company is all about um and it, claire is is basically the person who is essentially she's she's basically there for exposition and i feel quite sorry for bryce dallas howard because i think bryce dallas howard can give us a lot more than just a really pretty girl in heels with exposition um but you know i to be honest i think she actually does quite decent work in this movie for for what she's actually given to do which isn't actually a great deal um yeah but 
But I really like that she is basically there saying, well, this is what you wanted. You wanted something bigger. You wanted more. You want, and he's like, well, I just want people to be happy. Um, he's he's <laughs> a bit of he's a bit of an idiot, Simon Masrani. I I like Irfan Khan, and obviously rest in peace, Irfan Khan, because he mm-hmm. I think he passed away last year. Um, yes. and obviously phenomenal actor. Um, but. I, I, I do kind of agree with the Richard Branson <laughs> comparison when it comes to someone like Simon Masrani because I kind of feel like, yes, he, he probably has a very public persona of he's, he's an everyman's man kind of thing. But I think he is actually a very shrewd businessman. And essentially, it is all about the bottom line. And yeah. having a dinosaur like this will please the shareholders. Uh, it will bring in a lot of money. And and ultimately, Claire is basically there to tell the audience, well, this is what you wanted. Um, so, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think what that scene cleverly does as well is the way we're introduced to both of those characters, like Simon Masrani, we're, we're introduced to him as this kind of like, hey, he's fun. Like, do you know what I mean? He's, he's learning to fly a helicopter because he wants to be a part of it. And he's he cares about the customers and the welfare of the dinosaurs and then the way we're introduced to claire is like she's very hard-nosed do you know what i mean she's like she's like a quote-unquote what they'd call like a, a boss bitch do you know what i mean like it, it also and it all seems to like be like quite negative she seems to like she yeah. doesn't care about her two uh her two nephews because she's 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 all about work but then what that scene manages to do and it's it's in the delivery when Simon Masrani says about like um or she can't yeah about like this will give the this will give the parents nightmares and the way Claire says is that a good thing you kind of get that dynamic shift where she kind of becomes like you said like the conduit for the audience where it's like oh shit like she the pennies dropped for her that maybe like the bottom line isn't always the way and it's mm. I, I think it's it's a uh, it's a great scene and then is obviously led up with our introduction of um Owen who um yeah what what do you what do you make of the Owen character and what do you what how, how do you think that the the kind of the way we're introduced to him uh, is it effective in this film I mean you mentioned actually uh, the internet's least favorite Chris uh, which <laughs> <laughs> always kind of tickles me a little bit I don't have a problem with Chris Pratt uh, this was obviously the time where Chris Pratt he was, the was, was was basically everywhere, wasn't he? Uh, yeah. I I don't have a problem with Chris Pratt. Uh, I I think Chris Pratt is an attractive man. Um, I, I, and <laughs> I like him as an I like him as an actor. I I think like some of his like uh, personal beliefs and political beliefs I don't necessarily agree with, but it's uh, I don't I don't think he is downright evil i think the internet have just taken against him for being a republican and pro hunting or stuff like that so yeah i mean (laughs) to to be perfectly honest i'll I'll be honest i don't know a great deal about chris pratt's personal (laughs) life um i mean yeah uh, i like i say uh i i I can't really comment on um, stuff like that but um as an as an actor i mean you know i i i don't i don't find him i don't find him inoffensive uh he's Mm -hmm. he's nice to look at um and is and off and he often chooses interesting roles but at this point in his career he was 
clearly kind of leaning more towards a leading man kind of uh, role. The problem that I have with Owen and, and to a degree Claire as well is, as I said, kind of going back to the Jurassic Park um, comparisons, is when you have uh, really great characters in Jurassic Park um, and then when you basically create essentially a, a carbon copy of that movie, you then have to create characters that are or that you would want to be similar uh, to, yeah. to those characters. And, you know, where um, Owen is concerned, I mean, he's not really a patch on Sam Neill's character in Jurassic Park. The, sorry, the character's name completely escapes me. It's gone out of my head totally. Because um, it, uh, blah, blah, blah. I can't remember. Yeah, all, all, all <laughs> but, I can think is Dr. Ian Malcolm, but that's, yeah, that's Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, not, yeah. I remember, I, I, I've, got, I've got Ellie Sattler's name in my head. Um, <laughs> but, oh my God, that's really going to annoy me because how many times have I seen Jurassic Park? And um, yeah, uh, I'm so sorry, I've forgotten his name. Um, no <laughs> it happens sometimes. I, I get a bit of brain fart and it just disappears. <laughs> but yeah, Owen... Owen is a character. I mean, he's he's pretty kind of a bland character in many ways. He's just kind of there to be this kind of macho mm -hmm. man who just happens to know about dinosaurs. And yeah. I mean, I, I assume we're going to be talking about the raptors. Um, and oh yeah, I I, I kind of. <laughs> I mean, che Chekhov's <laughs> raptors, right? Yeah. It's kind of like, it's like, oh, they're, we're making a big deal in the first act. Don't worry, guys. They're coming back for the third act. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, I mean, the, the whole kind of relationship that he has with the raptors. Um, I mean, I seriously question that. Uh, just <laughs> from what we know from the other Jurassic Park movies, that raptors are supposed to be some of the most brutal, lethal killers in the whole of the dinosaur world yeah. um and you know he mentioned about oh i get them to they they imprint on me when they're born well if you want to go out and go to sub-saharan africa and find a lion cub and get it to imprint on you i guarantee you that lion will probably still attack you um yeah. so, because it, it's a wild animal yeah it's so, it's, 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 it's that say it's like the that uh, Werner Herzog documentary, Grizzly Man, where it's like this guy may, uh, went out and lived with bears and was like, look, guys, it's going perfectly. It's going perfectly. Then one day he was mauled and killed by a bear. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like, it's like you just cannot... Yeah, yeah you... It, that, that nature is un, unpredictable. And yeah, I, I, I don't quite buy that. And, and the fact... The fact that his character <laughs> is kind of broad strokes of Dr. Ian Malcolm and Dr. Alan Grant. Yes, I've done a little Google. Alan! Alan no. Grant! Thank you. Oh, that... <laughs> um, Thank it's you it's kind that. of weird because he, he, he kind of feels like a couple of characters in one. Like, do you know what I mean? He's like, we bulk him up, we get him a little bit sexy, he's, he's a bit of eye candy, but then he's like supposed to be this trainer but then do you know what I mean he kind of feels like both of the those two roles in one character and it's you don't really get to care about him that much because I like like the the story doesn't yeah. really apart from the fact again we get 
Chekhov's motorbike when he's like kind of uh, fixing that up and uh, it for a moment it for a, for a film as well that kind of seems anti like uh, corporate greed and stuff like that has like an egregious uh, yeah it like steps into a moment when it's a Diet Coke advert when he's like kind of looking sexy by his motorbike <laughs> and Bryce Dallas Howard comes over and he's drinking like a glass bottle of Diet Coke with like the label and it's like you can't make you can't make a film that um has something to say about this like corporate sponsorship and how evil is it it's like you can't have a line in a film that's like oh verizon mobile presents the Indominus rex and then moments later you've got like clear product placement in the film it's just it's the it's it, yeah. It, it is just so funny that the film itself obviously is a thing of a corporate money making machine. Yeah, and he's talking about exactly, it. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's completely ridiculous. But I mean, I I do appreciate yeah. uh, Chris Pratt in mm-hmm. in in a tight top. I I'm, oh, yeah, I'm not going to say we've that got I don't. Pulses, of um, <laughs> exactly, exactly. But it it does feel like like you've just kind of alluded to. It does feel like incredibly staged in that they were like, right, we need a scene that the women are going to swoon at and <laughs> and the gay men uh, are going to swoon at. Um, so let's get Chris Pratt in a really tight top. He's a bit dirty. He's working on his bike. He's sweaty, you know, and everyone's just going to swoon. And I get that. I get that you need to have that. Um, you need to have sex appeal in your characters. Uh, I completely get that. Um, but when you compare, the thing is, the problem with this movie is you watch this movie and you could sit and watch it and enjoy it. If this was the only Jurassic movie that existed, everyone would probably be like, "Yeah, this is fun. I like this. It's it's cool. It's enjoyable. It's it's a fun course, popcorn yeah. movie." But the problem is, you inevitably will mm-hmm. compare it to Jurassic Park every single time. And even when you look at the characters, you know, when, when you look at Jurassic Park, um, Alan Grant didn't have to stand there in a tight top, sweaty, mm-hmm. drinking a Diet Coke, you know, um, because that wasn't the point of that character. It we did the get, point we of did that, get that moment, though, of um, Jeff Goldblum with his shirt, shirt open, looking, I mean, lay, laying yes. back, looking okay. sexy. <laughs> okay, I, I, will, I will give you that. Um, but you know, Jeff Goldblum is, he's, he's a different kind of sexy. He's not like, he's not like a super ripped kind of guy. You know, he's, he's got like a a very raw sex appeal that kind of transcends (laughs) the way that he looks. It's all about him Uh and his personality and his character. Um, so uh, uh, when we're talking, yeah, obviously we're just kind of touching about casting, um, I don't think this film makes any like allusions, and it, it yeah, it, it it doesn't try and hide the fact at all that Vincent D'Onofrio's character is a bad guy, right? Like, it's like the moment we're introduced to him, it's like, yeah, let's weaponize these raptors. Like, it's just it, it instantly, <laughs> and, and, and it's that thing as well. It's like if you're gonna if you're gonna cast a bad guy, of course Vincent D'Onofrio is one of the one of the names you exactly. go for, right? He might as well have had, you know, been a must, you know, literally twirling <laughs> his mustache 
and going, what, uh, 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 uh. You know, that, that's how obvious a character, you know, uh, an antagonist he is. Um, and Vincent D'Onofrio is, I mean, he's one of the greatest yeah. character actors ever, really. Uh, he's absolutely outstanding. I mean, he's phenomenal yeah. in Daredevil. Um, but he, he is that kind of actor that you do tend to go to when you have a villain role. It's exactly like, uh, you know, yeah. someone like Mark Strong. You would go to Mark Strong if you want a moustache-twirling villain. Um, and I do kind of feel like the whole let's weaponize the raptors um, is... I mean, I, I'm not really kind of invested in that. That's, I mean, that, to be honest, they could take that out of the movie and the movie would probably be better yeah. for it, to be honest. I know that they obviously want a reason to have Vincent D'Onofrio there um, in, as, as an, you know, because he's supposed to be like this head of security or whatever, whatever he is. Don't even, I'm not even 100% sure what that character's supposed to do other than he comes in and says, let's weaponize <laughs> these raptors. Um, and that, that's basically all he says. Yeah. So um, there's, there's a real issue with this movie and, and, and what these characters are actually supposed to be doing. I mean, we, we get a good idea of what Claire's there to do and what mm -hmm. Owen's there to do. But all of these other people, like even the people who Owen works with, I'm still not entirely certain what they're actually there to do because he's the only one who seems to be able to really know these animals. Because um, you get that scene with the, the guy who's, uh, yeah. when the pig gets loose and, um, and that, that young lad is trying to obviously get the pig and he ends up falling into the, um, the raptor enclosure. Um, which, I mean... Clearly, uh, we, we have a good idea of what's uh, one of two things that's going to happen. Either the guy's going to be mauled to death or Chris Pratt's going to save the day. And so it, it's, it's, it's a really obvious setup. Uh, but again, it's kind of going back to Jurassic <laughs> Park. And you can't, you, that's the problem with this movie. As much as I enjoy it, and I, and I do enjoy it a lot, um, you can't help but compare it. And yeah. that's its main problem. Yeah, I guess, really. I guess Vincent D'Onofrio is what, like the, almost the fill-in for Wayne Knight's character, really, isn't he? But, like, let's amp up the evil a bit more, whereas, like, Wayne Knight's character was a bit of, like, a bumbling idiot who had selfish means and stuff like that. Yeah. He is a guy, here is a guy who actually wants to, like, take these creatures and, yeah, like, make them into, like, killing machines, like, on a grand scale. You mentioned a few minutes ago about, like, the people around uh, Owen and there's some like the thing is with this film there's some great people in the cast in like these these smaller roles that like I don't know some of it there's an element of it where it feels like they're they're massively underutilized whether it's someone like an Omar Sy who who works with Owen or I don't know I think Jack uh, Jake Johnson is perfectly cast oh I love Jake Johnson I love him <laughs> genuinely love him. him him and Lauren Lapkiss really yeah. like get to get like i i yeah i think they're but like yeah there's something like especially with those guys working with the raptors it's almost like that's like an interesting smaller story in itself do you know what i mean just like a story set around this this like these guys try like almost like i don't know like 
free willy but with uh <laughs> but with dinosaurs do you know what i mean as opposed to like I, but i guess that's something they can't do with the jurassic park property to go you know what we're gonna do to reboot it we're gonna go nice and small and make it about like make it about a, a nice character study instead um yeah it so, won't quite work will it <laughs> <laughs> so yeah one, one one of the scenes i wanted to mention as well like back to the indominus rex is that scene it, when uh, Owen and Claire go to investigate and we assume as the audience that the Indominus Rex has got out. Um, when obviously we get that switch that the Indominus Rex is in the paddock, can you remember like how that made you feel the first time you watched that? Well... I, to be honest, I can't. And I think the reason I can't is because, again, you have so many comparisons with the, this movie in Jurassic Park. Yeah. But to me, something like that was obvious. Yeah. Um, and, and I still don't understand to this day why Claire had to get in her car before she rang the, um, before she rang the, the station, essentially to find out mm-hmm. where the Indominus Rex was. Um, because surely that's the first thing that you would do is you'd find, because it's going to be in the vicinity of where you are. If, it, yeah. if it's anywhere. Uh, I mean, maybe she was just being a bit selfish. and She thought, well, I'll get in my car and drive away from this, this area uh, because <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to save my skin. Um, but it, obviously the movie wants us to think that it got out. Um, but we've learned from Jurassic Park that these dinosaurs are not dumb. So you would kind of think, well, surely this creature that's made from all of this different dinosaur DNA, um, I mean, and the science behind it, I mean, to be honest, uh, I think it's already been (laughs) debunked, the whole finding DNA in mosquitoes in amber. Um, but... The, the creation of a brand new species. Um, I mean, I'm sure scientists probably will be trying to do that at some point. I don't know. Like, yeah. I mean, they, they tried well, it in Deep Blue Sea as well, didn't they? Uh, and, and a lot of people do kind of see Jurassic World as Deep Blue Sea with dinosaurs. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I don't, I don't think they're comparable at all, really, personally. But yeah i i guess i just i I genuinely can't remember what i thought at the time it was a long time ago and it's not really like 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 when i said about when i saw jurassic park for the first time that really stuck with me because it was Mm -hmm. such a an amazing thing to see but movies like jurassic world are a bit ten a penny like you've kind of if you've seen one you've seen them all so there's nothing really about this movie that kind of makes it stand out, which I feel like I'm being really harsh on Jurassic World. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I think it is that thing that uh, once you t- start to look at it under the microscope, you start to re- like, do you know what I mean? The sheen and the, the, the glitz of it all fades away very quickly. Do you know what I mean? It's, it is quite easy to pick holes in this film. Like even down to the way that like, uh lack of character development and like it, it it almost doesn't even play within the rules of a disaster movie like normally like in a disaster movie it'll be like 
somebody is set up as like a bad person then they'll get their comeuppance and like in this we get um claire's assistant zara who for all intents and purposes is probably just a bit fed up of like running claire's errands but in the next breath it is her job but like i don't think she deserves the end that she gets right like 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 and that just feels like a thing of going well you know what we got this wicked cool like the guys that uh light like um image light and magic have created this amazing underwater dinosaur we're gonna have to show it off because again uh spoiler for the end like we're, we we've got we've got a Chekhov's dinosaur here that we're gonna have to but we we can't waste the asset so we need a kill like midway through the film it's like you know what she was a little bit snotty let's just throw her in and get her killed and it was like i was like i remember the first time seeing it be like i don't think she did she didn't deserve to die <laughs> yeah, no, but that, I think that's kind of the point, isn't it? And and I do kind of feel that Zara's death is particularly gratuitous. But also, mm, yeah. you know, in that scene, there's obviously a huge crowd of people, um, the pterodactyls or whatever they're supposed to be, I assume they're pterodactyls, are, yeah. are out. Um, they're attacking people kind of on this um, strip. And it's, it's kind of set up in a similar kind of way to, well, I kind of look at it and see like Disney World, you know, where you've got like, one street mm-hmm. yeah. with, with these shops kind of, uh, and it's, it's, it's really long and you get to the end and you have like the magic castle. Um, but in this version, you basically get to the end and you've got that huge kind of Jurassic World uh, auditorium kind of thing. Um, but mm-hmm. but I, I kind of feel like in this scene, they were, they were like, well, we need, we need a spectacle. We need to show something off. But if they'd have just picked a random person in the crowd, that obviously wouldn't have mattered to the audience because it, it's, it's a little bit kind of uh, self-aware, this movie, because this movie knows that the people who are watching want bigger and better. You know, we are the crowds yeah. at Jurassic World. They, yeah. they know that we saw Jurassic Park and that we're like, well, we don't want to just see a T-Rex. We want to see something bigger. It's, it's very self-aware, and I will give Jurassic World that. It is very self-aware. It knows that the people who are watching are the people who are watching. So that's fine. You know, I'll give it points for that. But it knows that if it just picks a random character from this kind of boardwalk, yeah, we're yeah. not going to care about that. It's similarly not going to pick one of those two young boys. Because <laughs> no one wants to go to a movie like this and see an animal or a child get killed. It, yeah. It's just un- the unwritten rule of, uh, you know, a family Hollywood action fun movie. Mm-hmm. You don't see animals or children get killed. So the children are immediately out, which left Zara as the only character <laughs> that we knew... <laughs> Uh, the named character exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's really unfortunate actually that that she had to have that happen to her because it was overly gratuitous um the fact mm-hmm. that she was essentially being drowned uh i mean it's really shocking actually you know the pterodactyls yeah. were drowning her um and then to basically get eaten by um oh i can't even remember what that dinosaur's called but the big the big swimming one <laughs> I'm so terrible with dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if if my nephew was here, he would be able to yeah, tell me say, the, what the dinosaurs were called. 
there's a four-year-old willing, like willing to give us a telling off for not getting all these games. <laughs> but yeah, the the um the the big swimming one. <laughs> but yeah, it, yeah it's we'll, it's we'll... particularly gruesome. It really is. Um, <laughs> but you know, the the movie wants to show us what we want to see. Um, and and <laughs> unfortunately, that is what we, the audience, want. So yeah. You you mentioning uh, like yeah the film giving us what we want to see and how this film has so many comparisons to uh, Jurassic Park itself. Uh, I guess a fill in for for that is the paddock uh, the the herbivore paddock scene when they're in the gyrospheres, right? Because we kind of like literally get a like a redoing of the first time that. Uh, like the three main characters see the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park in that moment. But it, it's it's kind of lost all of its awe, mm-hmm. awe-inspiring because you will re- every single yeah. time you will remember the first time in Jurassic Park when yeah. you saw the dinosaurs, when you saw the brachiosaurs, and that, and that yeah, and that's and that swell. Yeah, the score comes in. You will always remember that. But this, you I. It's just not as memorable. It's unfortunate, but it's mm-hmm. true. Um, you know, and, and you, it, it does utilise the children, I think, in this movie a little bit better than maybe Jurassic Park does. Um, mm-hmm. But the children in this movie, um, they're, a little, they're a little bit more bland. Like, at least with Lex and Tim, they had kind of individual personalities, whereas Zach and Gray... They kind of don't. They're just kind of yeah. very standard, like, oh, the older ones into girls and the younger ones into dinosaurs. And, and that's kind of it. But other than that, there's not really anything about them. The, the kind of, the, the, the wonderment has gone, unfortunately. And it's Jurassic Park's fault. Um, but it, <laughs> it's, it's also kind of Jurassic World trying to emulate this. Uh, and, I mean, I'm pretty certain um, there will be people out there who've seen Jurassic World first, because let's be yeah. honest, some people are younger than us. Um, and, uh, I mean, <laughs> damn and blast to them. But there are people out there who maybe saw this movie first and maybe they think this movie is, you know, the greatest of the Jurassics um, because mm-hmm. then they've seen Jurassic Park and they've gone, oh, well, it's not as good. I mean, who, who would say that? But I'm sure there are people out there yeah. who would. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't want to take anything away from those people because. If this was the first movie that you saw, then I'm certain that those scenes would stand out to you, that you would go, oh, this is amazing. Look at these amazing dinosaurs. But for people like us who grew up on Jurassic Park, it is different. It's, it's always going to be different, you know? Yeah. It, 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 yeah, it gets to that point where it's like showing like a younger person, like, ah, oh, music was like great back in my day and you play them a band, they're like, rubbish what you talk about because like they, they they've just grown up being used to certain things whether it is like but the thing yeah the thing is of like i think you get there's a certain cutoff of like people or like there's certain people who love practical effects and like the i mean like the puppets that created for the first one whereas i i i, I don't, I don't want to tar everyone with the same brush but there probably are younger people who are so used to cgi graphics that they're like no this is this is my Jurassic film. And I think that's like, 
that's that's great like the the jurassic like the kind of reintroduction of the jurassic park franchise um has created like one of the greatest little kids tv shows uh called uh camp uh crustaceous Cretaceous? no camp Cretaceous. yeah cr- crustaceans are something different <laughs> yeah that's underwater Sorry, yeah, yeah. I, I i i i watch i watch uh i watch it with my son and like he absolutely loves it and that is like yeah again that will be his introduction to the jurassic park franchise mm. and stuff like yeah. that do you know what I mean? and it's like like yeah but um um, yeah, to jump uh, back into the film and kind of like, um, is there like any scenes in this kind of midsection that really stand out to you that feel like we need to we need to we need to discuss, or should we get into the kind of closing moments of this film? Um, I mean, the only one that kind of springs to mind is when Owen and Claire find mm-hmm. the uh, the dying brachiosaur. Um, and and yeah. it's made very clear that the Indominus Rex isn't hunting for food. It's just hunting for sport. It's just doing it because it can. Um, it yeah. gives you an idea of the mindset of the Indominus Rex, um, that mm-hmm. it literally doesn't care all that much. Um, and that as a creature, I mean, if you think about how this creature has lived, it's it's actually quite, um, you know, an interesting thing to think about. If you look at um, the kind of, well, it's not a modern fascination, but everyone's been to a zoo or um, a safari yeah. park or, um, yeah. or something like that. And, and obviously you have animals in captivity. Um, and I think it does kind of raise an interesting question about keeping animals in captivity. Um, I think for... I mean, obviously, this isn't a podcast about <laughs> about the the morals and ethics of keeping <laughs> animals in captivity, but um, I do. It, it can be. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure what that has to do with the cop and the family, but okay. Um, but you know, it is it is quite interesting when you think that this is a creature that is the first of its kind. There is nothing else like mm-hmm. it in the world, um, and it's been bred to be a killer. It's been bred to be um huge with huge teeth it's been bred to hunt um and it's in a cage it can't do that it doesn't have the facility to do that um it's something that kind of calls back to jurassic park when they are feeding um oh i I think it's the t-rex they're feeding the t-rex with a goat or something and um, and alan grant uh i think it's alan grant mentioned something about that um you know this is a creature that's supposed to hunt like you're you're just giving it a goat on a chain. Like, what is that going to do for this creature? And it's exactly the same principle, Um, except this is a creature that, I mean, essentially ate its own sibling. So it it lives alone. (laughs) It lives alone in a cage. Um, Can you imagine living alone in a cage? It it, it, it draws up that thing that people say about like if if they say like something's off with someone and it's like oh yeah that 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 that's the type of person who definitely ate their twin in the womb do you know what i mean if there's like if someone's got like almost like sociopathic tendencies i guess that line really like kind of drew that up to me it's like oh shit yeah this is this is this is a bad guy right here like we need to we need to be aware um one of the things i wanted to like 
mention this film that I, I, I guess I have a little bit of an issue with is the kiss between Claire and Owen because I don't like it, it's kind of out of nowhere like in the kind of like maelstrom of when everything's going like batshit crazy on like the promenade and I don't like it just feels like a, for me personally it feels like a weird placement for the, for that moment do you know yeah. what I mean and I kind of like um I don't know like I don't I don't even know if this film needed that like because it can't yeah their whole like they were they went on a date before kind of thing like there's a certain charm to it but in the next breath it's a bit like really do we need this like like I don't know how do yeah how do you feel about that kind of love like bc plus, I, mean, I have a real issue with the with movies that feel like in order for the relationship between a man and a woman to have value that they need to have romance mm-hmm. um and yeah. that they need to kiss at an inopportune moment you know just to show mm-hmm. how how much they like each other it's it's really ridiculous for a start um but you know, all of this backstory between Owen and Claire is, is kind of inconsequential. I mean, they could literally just be work colleagues. You know, he yeah. works at the park, she works at the park. You know, they didn't have to add this romantic element, which does feel quite forced, actually. Um, I do agree with you. It feels superfluous, like, especially in that scene where you've just had a very traumatic experience. You've just been attacked by a load of dinosaurs, and then all of a sudden, you're kissing each other like i really don't think i mean i've not been attacked (laughs) by dinosaurs um but i really don't think that i would grab the nearest guy that i'd recently been on a date with and snog him you know do do you know what i mean i I feel like i'd I'd experienced a traumatic event i might need to sit down you know (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it, it feels incredibly tacked on and the whole relationship between them feels tacked on why why yeah, can't you and- just have a man and a woman be work colleagues, work well together, and be friends at the end? I mean, come on, it's, it's yeah. not rocket science. There, there's that whole thing in it as well that, like, the kind of backstory tries to make us believe that Chris Pratt is like an everyman and like a bit of like a. a sh- they they basically try and make you think that he's his character from Parks and Rec, like before he kind of got shredded. Because like, uh, oh, what kind of guy turns up to a date in board shorts, and then like the rest of the film, he's kind of in like a a tighty tightly fitted Henley top, looking like sexy as fuck. And it's like, oh, we're supposed to believe this is the same guy who like turns up to dates in board shorts, where like his outfit is just like kind of chic and on point when he's at work and it this brings me up like their, their whole thing brings me on to probably the most egregious thing in this film is why anyone thought it was a good idea and it makes no sense that claire is in hill <laughs> for the whole goddamn film <laughs> i know i mean i i have to give props to bryce dallas howard because if she can run in heels and not fall over mm-hmm. and seriously injure herself, then she is a hell of a woman. Uh, so mm-hmm. the, the, there are close-ups of those hills and her yeah. running, 
And it's like it's like Colin Trevorrow or uh, John Schwartzman, like as the cinematographer, going like, "This is fucking crazy. Look, she's in heels." I mean, I could understand it from a point of view that yes, yeah, she was in her work clothes, so she was wearing that. Very nice suit. Uh, and obviously, in her work, mm-hmm. she wears nice suits. She wears heels. She obviously didn't have a change of footwear. Uh, and she's adapted to getting shit done. Because, as I said, women get shit done. She's adapted to getting shit done mm-hmm. in heels. Um, and, but I kind of don't see... Because um, a lot of focus was on the fact, oh, Bryce Dallas Towers is running in heels. Um, and, and there was a lot of weird focus on that uh, if you look at it from a narrative mm. point of view she's not the sort of character who would turn up to work in flats i think you know she's, no. she's like you said earlier you know she is given this very kind of typical uh i'm a working woman and i'm um you know i'm yeah. really strict and i'm really assertive and i'm really powerful in my job and i and to do that i have to wear a smart suit and heels you know she's she's that mm-hmm. kind of character um so angular haircut yes, do you know what I mean? yes. it was, sharp edges yeah yeah. yeah. exactly um and she's styled in the way that her character would be styled in real life so Mm -hmm. uh i honestly when (laughs) i see bryce dallas howard running heels i don't think it's particularly (laughs) fantastical i just think that she's incredible for actually doing it Uh, so i give all the props to bryce dallas howard because i think she's amazing (laughs) so i guess something we probably should talk about with this film is how it looks and John Schwartzman's cinematography. Like, is do you think it's a particularly like flashy film? Is it is it is there moments too that that jump out? What what do you think of the cinematography of this film? I, I feel like I'm repeating myself quite a lot on this podcast and I do apologize. No. Um but no, it's fine. It's it's unfortunate in a way. It, it's it's a really hard thing, I think, to take on a movie like this as a cinematographer when Jurassic Park looks as good as it does. Um, yeah. It could never really hold up to what Jurassic Park does. Although I, I do think that it is a reasonably good-looking movie. I think it does have some really interesting shots in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Effects-wise... Um, Certainly some of the CG hasn't aged particularly well. Some of the um the puppet work that they do, especially with the raptors, um, still still yeah. looks reasonably good, but then it's it's a practical puppet, so it would. Um mm-hmm. but I I certainly wouldn't say it's an unattractive film. I think that there are certain points yeah. of it um where you you get a real kind of a real feel that this is kind of a really busy theme park. Um, and then it's kind of juxtaposed with these uh, scenes of, of just like, you know, lush green landscapes and rolling fields. Mm-hmm. And you get this kind of feeling that this is a huge place. Um, and that's obviously down to what Jonathan Schwartzman's done with, with the cinematography to make you really feel like this could be a real place. Um, and that you could have yeah. all of these different areas. You could have this kind of bustling central hub. Um, and you can have all of these like rolling fields. You've got a little um, monorail or something that kind of takes you places. Um, so I certainly don't think it's an unattractive movie. 
certain scenes are a little bit dark in nature, but I, I kind of feel like, well, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's my TV. I don't know. But certain, certain <laughs> things do kind of feel a little bit darker, um, you know, but on the whole, I, I don't think, I don't think it's unattractive. So I, I'm not going to sit here and slate what John Schwartzman's done <laughs> because it must be an, a really difficult thing to do a movie like this when the movie that came before it is so iconic. Uh, so I have to give pretty much everyone who worked on this movie props for making something that is actually quite decent, really, uh, as long as you don't compare it too much. Well, I think it is that thing that obviously, like, everybody who worked on this is kind of ha hamstrung by Jurassic Park in a way, in that, like, like it's it, it, it like i just assumed that the score like when i like where like when the film came out i said oh it's gonna be john williams again and then it's like you feel like people don't get the credit that they deserve because you're like oh no it's it's actual uh michael chiamina uh uh yeah like it's it's do you know what i mean it's 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 somebody else you're like oh that's uh, like and then like there's an element that you feel like with like john Schwartzman, it's like Oh, can you just create the same look as Jurassic Park in a way? Do you mm. know what I mean? Like, and the film, I think the film is good in the fact that it's very much like a love letter, and it feels yeah. like like Colin Trevorrow is like the the Jake Johnson character, where he probably was turning up to set wearing an original Jurassic Park T-shirt and stuff like that. But I guess I don't know. It's that thing you almost like think if somebody who like I don't know, didn't know the franchise it would have been like interesting to see if it was like somebody like put in their hand do you know what i mean kind of like given the script here you go make this crazy film um but obviously colin trevorrow must have done some good and so is john john schwartzman because they are both back for the film's second sequel uh jurassic yeah. world dominion but Let's talk about how this film ends and all of these Chekhov's uh, <laughs> items are brought, are brought back up in the third and final act of this film. Um, so I guess the first one, uh, and it kind of like once Hoskin has his takeover of the park and he wants to track down the Indominus Rex with the raptors uh, and Owen gets to gets to get Chekhov's motorbike and go after the Indominus Rex with the Raptors. Yeah, what do you think of that scene when you've kind of got all the like ta uh, tactical team being taken off left, right and centre once the Indominus Rex kind of gets the Raptors on side? I mean, I must admit, I, I didn't see the uh, Raptors kind of forming a bond with the Indominus Rex. That, that was something I didn't see coming. <laughs> But the, the scene of, like, Chris Pratt on his bike surrounded by raptors, I mean, that was one of the most marketable images of the movie uh, because it was in all the trailers. Yeah. So everyone knew that this it's, was going to happen. Um, it's the cover of the Blu-ray as exactly. well. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of feel like, in a way, the movie spoiled it because <laughs> some things audiences don't need to see um you know in the yeah. marketing and and this scene in particular where he does kind of you know get the raptors and they're you know he's side by side with them on his bike and all of that is a really cool shot actually 
Um, yeah. I think that that could have quite easily been saved just for the movie, but I didn't see the team upcoming um, because then obviously we realised that the Indominus Rex is part raptor and that's how they can yeah. communicate. Um, I mean, it, it, it kind of... kind of um, doesn't work so well towards the end uh, <laughs> in a sense that... Mm -hmm. When you have the team of raptors um, and you have four raptors and you have the Indominus Rex and obviously Owen has, for, uh, up to this point, has been the alpha of the pack and now yeah. the Indominus Rex is miraculously all of a sudden the alpha of the new pack. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, then obviously the, the raptors kind of turn on the, on the humans. And when that happens, obviously, you know, I mean... It's it's pretty obvious, really. But you know that everyone, apart from Chris Pratt, uh, is going to die. Um, Omar uh, Sy lives, doesn't he, if I recall? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you see him in the end. But I think what is, like one of the things that's interesting in that is it kind of like goes a bit like uh, found footage yes. horror for a moment. Yeah. When you've kind of like, you've got those interesting shots of like their kind of body cams and stuff like that. And like them being taken down because obviously you need to put bryce dallas howards and the kids somewhere so even though they've had an opportunity to evacuate the kids for some reason they're in the back <laughs> of the van in 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 the thick yeah. of it um but um yeah I, I i find those bits like just on like a yeah visually quite interesting i think that it's kind of it, it feels quite mod. Oh, yeah, it kind of feels a bit like uh, Wreck, like the the Spanish found footage horror film. I can't, I can't say I've seen that because I'm not a I'm not a huge horror fan. But uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like it 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 has it has it has like it feels interesting to do something like that in like a mainstream Hollywood film because it gets quite disorientated. And it, that's a moment when the film itself is literally quite dark, not not just like. Uh, yes. Tonally, yeah. Like, yeah. That where where it kind it kind of makes sense because like you almost feel like those guys themselves are it's a bit disorientating and if I can remember rightly in the cinema like I guess they would have done like cool things in surround sound you almost like get that thing of like where the hell is the raptor going to come from and then when they kind of take them down it's a bit of a surprise but yeah yeah that that is something I like in this yeah it, it, it kind of. Uh, it felt very Predator to me. You know, the movie Predator? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. With, yeah, yeah um, with the um, um, With the little um, monitors and everything that show yeah, who's yeah. alive and who's not. And then obviously they're in the control centre and they can see one by one, like all of these people are dying, uh, which, which I kind of really like, actually. Uh, and you yeah. kind of have those shots. You don't see anything. I mean... Oh, like I say, I'm not a huge fan of horror. I don't watch much of it. But the horror that mm -hmm. is the most effective is the horror that you don't see. So yeah, when yeah. you have a, uh, you know, a, a single kind of camera and all you can see is a man's legs and he's being dragged by something, um, that is actually, I, I agree with you, that's actually really effective. Uh, it probably is one of the best scenes in the movie because you don't really have anything like that comparably uh, in Jurassic Park. So... I like that it actually mm -hmm. tried to do something a little bit different. Um, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, uh, that kind of whole raptor scene. Um, but like I say, it's it's just kind of one of those unfortunate things that it always kind of reminds me of Austin Powers. 
where you've got like the um, <laughs> unnamed guard and uh you know he's got a wife and kids at home and uh it just so happens that he's one of the unnamed guards who's going to die today and it's it's a bit like that isn't it if you've got characters who are soldiers uh they don't have names they are probably all going to die so <laughs> those poor yeah, actors it's, <laughs> yeah it's 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 like the 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 kind of uh security guard eating a snack like in in the indominus rex yeah like, exactly like. Oh, you, you're going to die, aren't you? They might as well all have red shirts on in the classic like Star Trek fashion where it's like you knew that those were the disposable characters when they went on yeah. a mission. Um, but the, this kind of like third act of this film kind of just, ra- if anything, it does ramp up and get crazier and crazier. Obviously, we get the reveal that, well, it's not really a surprise this, that Hoskins and uh, Dr. Wu were working together to kind of, get 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 this hybrid i don't know like uh embryos out of there and and sold and again like you're talking about like this film getting to like horrific uh scenes i think the way that like that that shot of hoskins like getting his hand bit oh it's brilliant it's pretty, <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 it, it's it's really cathartic as an audience but all that yeah, it's kind of like you are there kind of like yes he fucking deserves that but at the same time it's like it's, it feels like it's really pushing the boundaries of like a, a 12a certificate yeah as well. well it's exactly the same with jurassic park if you look back and see what jurassic park mm-hmm. did they were yeah. it was pushing the boundaries of that family friendly certificate and that was one of the reasons i think why my grandparents were so <laughs> <laughs> so shocked that uh, it was as gruesome as it was um but we loved mm-hmm. it so <laughs> i think it gave me nightmares but i i will still you know rate about rant about that movie so um yeah uh i mean i, I certainly do agree with you that I, I feel like this movie gets to a point and then it kind of brings out not just the big guns but it literally brings out every single gun in its arsenal because it is literally like right yeah. we need to we need to reach a conclusion but we also need to make the audience really happy so let's literally bring out a greatest hits of jurassic uh-huh. you know and it, it does feel yeah. very much like they they've strategically done that in in a way like i say to uh to kind of speak to the audience that it knows that's there really that w- what yeah. we want to see so obviously we get the ultimate team up of the Raptors and well Blue and a T Rex versus the Indominus mm-hmm. Rex, uh, which which culminates in the Indominus Rex being eaten by that big water dinosaur, which I think is the official uh, name. Yes. Of the movie, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah. What do you, what do you make of that kind of whole like fight, uh, fight sequence that happens? It's very standard, isn't it? In in kind of blockbusters, uh, you know, to have this kind of epic fight scene at the end. Um, I mean, I think you could argue that a lot of these movies, even Jurassic Park to a degree, there's a lot of contrivances um, in the script mm-hmm. that miraculously something will appear at the point exactly when it needs to. Uh, and, you know, as much as I love Jurassic Park, you have that bit at the end where the um, T-Rex miraculously appears out of nowhere to to save them from the raptors. So this is kind of exactly what happens again. Um, 
but it is a lot of fun. I, I do really enjoy the fact that you have these huge beasts fighting essentially in this kind of strip um, where you've got all of these like toy stores and all of this kind of merch. It's, it's really all, uh, like I say, this movie feels so self-aware. It knows that you're going to go out and you're going to buy a T-shirt. You're going to buy, um, <laughs> you know, a drinks container. You're going to buy a, a T-Rex toy. You know, it, it knows yeah. exactly what it's doing. Um, but and, and then you've got these dinosaurs basically destroying all these shops and everything. And it's 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 a lot of fun. Um, I wouldn't say it's anything spectacular. Um, the only thing that really is for me is when uh, the um, massive ginormous sea water dinosaur, whatever it's called. I'm so sorry. I wish I knew the names. <laughs> no, um, I don't know it either. Don't worry. <laughs> But that that was a big surprise for me. Uh, I remember being genuinely yeah. surprised at that. That I mean, really, it's standing right by the tank, so it's not really shouldn't really be a surprise. Um, but when it comes out of the water and it, you know, grabs it by the neck and and, and takes it under, um, it, it does feel like the only possible conclusion because you yeah. the T Rex and the and Blue are not going to be able to kill that creature, so. There was really yeah. only one thing that could happen, really, if you think about it. I think on rewatch as well, you get the feeling as well, like, ah, uh, the 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 effects artist has spent so long creating that creature, it's gonna have to play a part at the end, right? It's gonna have to like crop up at least one more time to kind of get their money's worth. And uh, as I said, like, it is like a it's Chekhov sea monster by this point, where it's like. You get that. I'll admit, on first time watch, I was probably like in the cinema, like, "Whoa, what the, what the hell was that?" Like, and loving it. But like, I, I guess it's, I, I don't know, part of the uh, the worries of doing a film podcast. A lot of the time, is just like, I, I, I ruin these films for myself by just like examining them as opposed to just like leaving my brain in a bucket at the door and just enjoying them for the silly popcorn fun that they mm -hmm. are yeah um, i get that so what 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 do you um well yeah they, so this film kind of neatly wraps up at the end right everyone kind of lives happily ever after and most importantly the t-rex has isla nublar to itself um yeah, it's like what like do you think it does it leave you feeling satisfied? Um I think if you take this film as an entity in itself, then you have to say yes. Mm. Um yeah. in a sense that you you reach kind of this natural conclusion. I mean, you could ask quite a lot of questions of I mean, why did they do this in the first place? That, that's a good place to start. Yeah. But I think if we talked about that, we'd be here forever. Um, mm -hmm. But as, as a, like you say, as a fun popcorn movie, it delivers. Um, I, I feel like I have been especially harsh on this movie, uh, on this episode no, in particular. <laughs> but it is really so difficult, especially if you do love Jurassic Park and you have an affinity with Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. It is very difficult not to compare it. Um, but I, yeah. I do like the callbacks to Jurassic Park. I think they're used sparingly enough to not be too obvious. Um, you know, when they get the jeeps out and you've got the little binoculars and all of that sort of stuff. I, I really like those little callbacks. Um, 
you know, to even the, the banner when dinosaurs ruled the world and all of that sort of stuff. It, 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 it makes this movie feel um, like it is a kind of calling back to an old friend. It's not exactly yeah. the old friend. It's like, you know, your old friend's cousin that you, you kind of know, but it's not really your friend. <laughs> you know, it's just like someone that is related to your friend. Yeah. Um, but overall, I mean, I, I, I don't hate this movie. I actually quite enjoy it. <laughs> I know it doesn't sound like I do, uh, yeah, but, no, no, but I do. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that, you know, you get the end with the roar and the T-Rex and, um, I mean, I, I, I still don't know why the T-Rex and the Raptor all of a sudden are best friends, but, <laughs> you know, sometimes you have to just switch off. You have to, you know, it's just, yes. you just have to kind of take it for what it is. Um, and, and yeah, uh, J Jurassic World it is, is a perfectly fine movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it, yeah. It all, it's like from what I remember, it feels very much like a standalone film, anyway. Because yeah, as I say, from what I remember, the the sequel doesn't really. I, 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 I'm going off guesswork. It's been a while since I watched the sequel, but that that doesn't really seem to like pick up. Do you know what I mean? It kind of feels like those characters in a different situation, yes. as opposed to yeah. as as yeah, as opposed to like we're dealing with the aftermath entirely of that or whatever um so yeah we talked about you've obviously given this you you personally feel like you've given this film a kick <laughs> here is where we kind of get to um score the film and how we do that on this podcast is one first of all picking out the perfect wine pairing for jurassic world m what would it be well, I'll be completely honest. I am not a wine connoisseur. I don't really know <laughs> anything about wine other than I like Pinot Grigio. Uh, <laughs> and that's basically my knowledge of wine. So I did have to do a bit of online searching for this. Um, and what I found out uh, is I found out there is such a thing as amber wine. Um, Perfect. And it's also called orange wine, but I kind of like the whole, you know, link to Jurassic Park with the amber. Yep. Um, it's apparently made with, if you keep the skin on the grapes, it apparently gives it this kind of orangey tinge. Uh, but but I quite like the idea of amber wine. Um, and apparently uh, it, it comes from Georgia, uh, the country, not the uh, American state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. State, yeah. But it, it it dates back thousands of years as well, so it's it's got a, a lot of history. Amber wine or orange wine, as it uh, is often called. So I thought it would be good to go for a Georgian amber wine, and I went online and I was like, typed into Google Georgian amber wine, and <laughs> and the one that kind of came up as being quite a popular one was something called a Tabani AOC amber. Uh, I don't know if it's available in your local Tesco, um, <laughs> but if anyone happens across some Georgian amber wine, then maybe give it a go. <laughs> but you can buy it online. That, that, that's perfect. And it feels like it needs to be uh, the oldest kind of bottle you can find just to keep in with the prehistoric yeah. theme of this film. And yeah, I always, uh, always like to ask how much you're paying for that. And I've recently changed it up to ask you, would this be a bottom shelf film? I mean, wine, a middle shelf or a top shelf wine? Are you still there? 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Hello? Petros? Hello? Can you hear me? Hello? Hello? Are you there? Hello? Oh, hi. I'm, I'm hi. here. Hello, hello, hello. Hi, I lost you. You, you froze on me. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Um, do you want me to I'll ask that question? Okay. So, yeah, as I like to ask on here in regards to how much you're paying for that bottle of wine, in brackets, film, and the way I do it now is asking, is it a bottom shelf, a middle shelf, or top shelf wine? Well, I actually took this question quite literally, and I found the price <laughs> of the Tabani AOC Amber, <laughs> and I found out Amazing. that it retails for £12.95. And I kind of thought, well, that's actually makes sense because I think that would be a middle shelf wine at £12.95. And really, Jurassic World is very much a middle shelf movie. uh, As far as I'm concerned, it's not (laughs) a terrible movie. It's not a great movie. It is in the middle. So middle shelf, I think, works for me. Yeah, perfect. But I I couldn't agree with you uh, anymore. And uh, yeah. would you recommend that people watch Jurassic World if they haven't already? I would recommend they watch it, mm-hmm. but I would basically say <laughs> that if you've seen Jurassic Park, then you will find yourself comparing it a lot. If you haven't seen Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. would I recommend it if you haven't seen Jurassic Park? If, <laughs> if you haven't seen Jurassic Park, <laughs> I would recommend Jurassic Park over this. But if this is the yeah. only thing that you have available and you want some dinosaur fun, because who doesn't want dinosaur fun? Um, then um, yeah, I, I I would recommend it. Like I say, it's not a terrible movie. It just suffers from comparison to Jurassic Park. Um, but yeah, I I I think you could definitely watch it as like you could probably skip out the Lost World and three and do do Jurassic Park maybe the next weekend watch jurassic uh jurassic world uh, i don't know i say that i've got a soft spot for number three but this we haven't got time <laughs> right yeah <laughs> we've talked too much about jurassic park um, in this episode already so <laughs> yeah um so yeah one thing I, I like to do on uh this podcast is to see if there's any connections in this film to the coppola family elsewhere whether it's an actor who's worked with someone someone on the cast or crew who's worked with a coppola somebody else did you manage to find any coppola connections um not not really <laughs> don't, not don't, really. don't worry i've got i i i've i i've got i've i've got a few here and I'll, I'll i'll list them off just so we can kind of close the net and see where these people link up to the coppolas elsewhere so judy greer who plays the children's uh mother um in this is in adaptation with Nicolas Cage and Free Kings with Spike Jones. Vincent D'Onofrio plays Orson Welles in Edward, which uh, Stephanie Schwartzman, John Schwartzman's younger sister, worked in the costume department for. Ifran Khan is also in The Amazing Spider-Man, which John Schwartzman was again the DOP. Jake Johnson is in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse as Peter oh, B. Parker of alongside Nicolas Cage. Of course! 
Why and... didn't I think of that? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, last but not least, Lauren Lapkus is in Between Two Ferns, the movie, as is Jason Schwartzman, and is also in The Unicorn, which is co-cinematographered uh, by Jonathan Schwartzman and um, directed by Robert Schwartzman, Jason and Jonathan's younger brother. There we go. That's that's all the connections. Just if you you got your bingo card at home <laughs> and you're kind of trying to figure this, out, or you got your your string and your and your photos on your wall like a maniac, you can you can you can figure that out, guys. Uh, so I like to close these out with asking the impossible questions of this show, which makes me so glad I am on the asking end as opposed to the receiving end. And the first one is, which of the Coppola family uh, members member would you keep, but in doing so, you get rid of the filmography of all of the other family members? <laughs> now, originally, uh, the, my first instinct was to go for Sophia Coppola. Um, but then mm. I realised it would remove Francis Ford Coppola's exquisite Bram Stoker's Dracula, which, as I said, I am a huge fan of. So, to be honest, I think I would have to keep Francis Ford Coppola over all of the others, including <laughs> Nicolas Cage. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I feel like I've let you down. <laughs> no, no, no. That's great. I love it when people do it uh, on, like, a totally, like, uh, selfish basis. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I've, I've, I've had some lovely people on who have been so selfless and been like, oh, for, the, for like, their reason a lot of the time for Francis Ford Coppola is, like, the... Oh, the ripple effects he's cast across like Hollywood as a whole, like a whole, and I, I love it when people come up and go, "I really like this person because I like that yeah. film, and I don't want to lose it." So yeah, no, hats off to you. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and um, are they the greatest film family of all time? I mean, I think that there are a lot of film families in Hollywood that are. Um, you know, incredibly important. I mean, you've got the Barrymore family, mm -hmm. you've got actual Warner Brothers, you know, without the yeah. Warner Brothers, there would be no Warner Brothers. Exactly. Um, you've obviously got the Houston family. Mm -hmm. But I kind of feel like all of those families, you know, if you look at the Barrymores and the Houstons as an example, none of those are as prolific as yeah. the Coppola family. You know, when you look at the the whole kind of family tree that obviously you're looking at in your podcast, I mean, it's just astonishing how many people and how ta how many talented people can be in one family. Yeah. So I kind of feel like you have to say they are the greatest film family <laughs> of all time because there's no other family that kind of beats them in, you know, the number of um, performances, number of films, the yeah. number of people in the family who are professional, you know, professionals in Hollywood. Um, so, yeah, they, I think they have to be the greatest film family of all time. Yeah, I I definitely feel like they they've like strong armed that just by like their sheer numbers almost. Just yes. by like, you know what I mean? <laughs> instead of instead of like I don't know having like a small posse who are like amazing, they're like, do you know what? We'll just get a massive posse and then just make it undeniable that we like. And if you don't if you don't say we're the greatest, we'll beat you up. That's the kind of vibe I get from the yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um and possibly the most important question on this podcast is, what does Bill Murray say to Scarlett Johansson at the end of Lost in Translation? 
oh god this is so hard this is this is the reason why i immediately went for sophia coppola for that first question because i love lost in translation amazing so much um i'm such a huge fan of the movie and it's a really, really special movie for so many reasons. And, mm-hmm. and I think the whisper at the end is is one of those reasons why I think it's so special, because mm-hmm. I've always kind of seen that as as kind of a metaphor for it's no one else's business what two people say to each other uh, in, in that kind of moment of, um, you know, when you are about to part ways. Yeah. Um, it's it's. Even though it's a movie about, you know, these two characters, Bob and Charlotte, I kind of really like that they're still allowed this one single private moment mm-hmm. um, because all relationships, whether they're platonic or romantic or whatever, deserve these private moments. And it's a weird thing to say when you're talking about a movie that, you know, it deserves to have a private moment. But I kind of feel like these characters do. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, you've asked the question, so I, <laughs> I feel like I've got to answer. So, um <laughs> I, I, I like to think it would be something like I'll be seeing you soon or mm-hmm. or maybe something like I hope you know how much I love you or something like that because, you know, just to kind of cement how these two people feel about each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but really, I kind of always come back to the fact that the fact that we don't know and that we never will know because Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson have never said yeah. what he said to her. Um, I really like that there's secrets out there that mm-hmm. sometimes movies are all about you know magic yeah. and and that having a secret like that is is makes it more magical really than finding out that you know he said something he could have said something completely ridiculous like have you bought apples at the supermarket recently <laughs> I, you know this, yeah. it, it could just be something like that but i really like that we don't know i like to think that it's something really sweet and and nice and lovely that these two characters will see each other again. Yeah. Um, uh, but who knows? That's a that's a beautiful reading on, on the kind of end of that film and how it kind of gives the characters a chance to have like a quiet moment for themselves and something I've ne- yeah ne- never really thought about. That's uh, yeah a, a lovely a perfect answer for that question. Thank you, thank you so much. For that. Oh, uh, thanks. <laughs> so um so yeah, obviously you host uh, Verbal Diorama. Uh, you've just recently. Uh, like reached 100 episodes a massive congratulations on that uh where where can people keep up to date with everything you're doing whether it is uh the podcast or obviously you write for film stories as well yeah where's the best place to keep up to date with all of that well i mean the best place to find me uh generally is is on twitter uh at verbal diorama i'm also on instagram and facebook as well but i'm more active on twitter than than anything Yep. But Verbal Diorama is basically all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. So I like to take a bit of a deep dive into the making of of films, essentially. Mm-hmm. I, I find it really fascinating how things were made. Uh, I can't say Jurassic World is, is on my list <laughs> to do anytime soon. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of movies out there and I, I genuinely have a huge fascination with how things come together. And ultimately, I think that no matter how terrible a movie is, um, no matter if it does recycle something from a previous movie, ultimately, uh, and Jurassic World obviously falls into this category as well, that it's quite simply a miracle that any movie gets made. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you have a, a team of people coming together, doing their best jobs uh, to get something made and released and out of the door. And 
regardless of how well the movie does critically or financially, it's still an arduous task. And I still think that every movie deserves to be celebrated. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's what I try and do on my podcast. And yeah, if, if anyone is interested in finding me or any of my now 100 episodes as of recording, <laughs> um, then yeah, you can find me on, on Twitter. You just verbaldiorama.com or find me in your podcast app of choice i am everywhere perfect <laughs> a bit a bit like pterodactyls you know they're literally <laughs> everywhere you can't get enough they're just oh my god it's just harassing it's attacking me that's what verbal diorama does to your soul <laughs> perfect well thank you so much for coming and making some coppola connections with me thank you so much for having me And there we have it, another vote for yes and being the greatest film family of all time. I somehow feel like I should change that question slightly to possibly based on the film we are discussing alone. Let me know if uh, you would like me to do that. Again, a massive thank you to M for coming and chatting about this film with me. If you disagree with anything we've said or you agree with any of it, please don't hesitate to get in touch on all the social medias at Caged In Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd. Or if you'd like to send an email, you can do that cagedinpod at gmail.com. As for next week on the episode, we'll be taking a departure from the wider Coppola family and looking at the man who started it all in Nicolas Cage with the crudes a new age i'll be joined by marcy from the super network podcast to discuss that film also over the next month or so i'll be running a bonus podcast series ingeniously titled the caged in Pigcast, where i'll be talking all things pig from a variety of guests from david nell who acts in one of the key scenes in the film to one of the film's producers and writers, Vanessa Block, as well as Alexis Gra uh, Grappas and Philip Klein, who did the amazing score for Pig. So make sure that you tune in for that. I'm trying my hardest, guys, to get Nick Cage and Alex Wolf on the podcast, as well as Michael Sarnowski. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do rate review on Apple Podcasts, Acast, or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now now as always i've been petros pat syllabus your guide through the crazy world of the coppola family tree remember to keep it caged in and i'll catch you next time this podcast is presented by the breadcrumbs collective home of the pod charles cinecast caged in coppola connections a drip town limery main franchised and many more to come our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.